Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. Welcome to episode number 61 of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, where we talk about what you need to know about interstate adoption. Hello, everybody. My name is Tim Elder. Welcome to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, where we talk all about domestic infant adoption. We help you through all the stuff that will help you adopt faster with more confidence and with less headaches. So today's a special episode because it is sponsored by Bethany Christian Services. Bethany is a full-service Christian nonprofit adoption agency with locations in 36 states, and they've been helping families adopt since 1944. They will help you create an adoption plan that's right for you and your family, and they'll be there every step of the way to support you. You know, the journey doesn't end when your adoption is finalized, and Bethany is specializes in post-adoption services for families and adoptive parents and adoptees. They do this really, really well, and I invite you to go check out some of their adoption stories, learn how you can get started with Bethany, or even just go to one of their informational meetings at bethany.org forward slash infant adoption guide. And I wanted to say thank you to a few listeners for giving me some great feedback about the show. You know, Ashley says, I found your podcast on Stitcher yesterday and I'm loving it. And thanks for all the hard work. My husband and I are starting our journey to start our family through adoption. So thank you, Ashley, for those that great feedback. And Nikki says, hey, Tim, thanks so much for your resources. My husband and I are early on the, the adoption journey. I found your podcast a few weeks ago and have really enjoyed listening to the to and from work. I'm trying not to get to, into analysis paralysis, as you stated on one of your podcasts, but also trying to be thorough and give due diligence to uh, research. So thanks for all you do. And thank you, Nikki, for those great comments. And I'd love to hear from you, too. If you want to email me directly at tim at infantadoptionguide.com or go to iTunes and leave a review there, I'd love to read your review right here on the show. So today's episode, we're going to talk about infant adoption and across state lines, which is typically called interstate adoption. And Carrie Eckhart is here today, who serves as a supervisor for domestic infant adoption and pregnancy counseling for Bethany Christian Services in Philadelphia. Carrie has been with Bethany since 2009, and prior to her current role, she was a home study worker and a case manager for both infant and international adoptive families. So she has a bachelor's degree in religious education with a focus on church ministries and counseling from Davis College. And she also has a master's of art degree with a focus on counseling from Summit University. She loves being able to journey with expected parents and adoptive family as they seek God's plans through adoption. And you'll you'll hear that in her voice and in her uh, experience and what she shares with the, with us during this interview. She does a fantastic job of, of sharing her ideas and, and resources about interstate adoption. So let's get in the interview right now with Carrie. Here you go. All right. Well, welcome to the show and hello, Carrie. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm just glad to have you on. Uh, this is a great topic. Uh, interstate adoption is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, my wife and I have been through three of them. So we've had some experience with them. And I know you've had a lot of experience as well, uh, being uh, based out of the Philadelphia area. And uh, you said you're licensed in how many other states that, from your branch? Yeah, we're licensed. Yep, our branch. Um, I'm with the Greater Delaware Valley branch. Um, and we are licensed um, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and in Delaware. Okay. So the majority of cross-state or interstate adoptions that you deal with are from those states? 
Yes. Um, okay. Sometimes we do have a situation where a family may adopt a child from a different state, um, or we may be providing post-placement services or, you know, pregnancy counseling services with another state. But typically, our interstate adoptions are within those three states. Awesome. Well, today we're talking about everything there is to know about interstate adoption, or as much as we can fit into this interview. So, and when we say interstates, I want to make sure everybody's aware that is. Uh, so, if you're an ado- hopeful adoptive family and you're adopting a baby from a different state from where you live, that's what we mean by interstate adoption. Just to make sure we're clear. Uh, but it's street, extremely important to be prepared for to know what you're kind of getting into. And um, if you're just looking into adoption, it may be important to understand all the things that go into adopting from another state. So I, I'm happy to have carry on here to break everything down. And so we can understand the process and, and uh, wonder and look at the challenges, I guess, and, and see how to overcome those. So how would hopeful adoptive parents decide even, you know, if they're just looking into adoption now, how would they even know if they want to or should adopt from another state? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it's similar to a, the way you, you consider a lot of different things about adoption. Um, you know, you have to look at your family situation, decide what's going to work well for you. With an interstate adoption, I think it's really important to consider the type of child you're hoping to adopt. Um, sometimes we have families who are really looking for a very specific type of child, or maybe they're open to kids with special needs, and so they're looking around the country um, for a child that, um, you know, may you know, fit sort of what they're looking to provide a resource for. So, you know, we've had families that come in and they say, we really have a heart to adopt a child with Down syndrome. Well, that may not be something we see locally all the time. Um, And so they just feel really equipped to meet that child's needs. And so they'll consider looking around the country um, for possible situations that may work. I think nowadays openness is such a big thing, um, particularly in domestic infant adoption. And so, that's something really to consider. What type of relationship are they looking to have with the birth family once that child is placed? And do they want to have regular face-to-face contact? Do they want to be able to have more of a kind of ongoing close relationship where they're seeing each other often? Um, That certainly plays a factor into how far away you could go. Certainly you could adopt from another state, but there may be a smaller radius for that. It's important to look at state laws. That's a really important piece. Um, The moms that we work with in Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, if they choose a family from a different state, they have the option of choosing to go through the legal process in their own state or going through the legal process in the state the family is from. And so it's important to recognize that while you may be familiar with your own state laws, the laws in a different state can look really different. And then it's also important to consider you know, what each state allows for as far as the type of adoptions. For example, um, in Delaware, where we work, Delaware is considered an agency-only state. So if a family identifies or a mom identifies a family and she's from Delaware and she wants to place with a family, say, from, you know, California or Texas or somewhere, that family is going to have to use an agency for the placement. So you couldn't do that just with an attorney. That would need to be done through a local agency that's licensed in Delaware. So there's a lot of things to consider, but I think it's, you know, those I would say are some of the big factors to consider, um, as well as the cost, because obviously if you're traveling far, like there's more costs associated with that. Um, And most agencies do charge a fee for that interstate placement um, as well, because there's a lot more that needs to happen for those. 
Yeah, and we can get into more of the cost here in a little bit. I just wanted it was great groundwork you laid there about what uh, it, it could take to adopt from another state. Uh, one thing for us, we're kind of in a rural, I don't know about rural, but we're in Nebraska. It's a lot of people consider it rural, and the population is definitely not here. So that, in our case, it kind of we felt it may hinder our chances or delay mm-hmm. us longer to adopt if we didn't open it up to. Uh, look at other states. So that's what we did on all three of ours. So we adopted all three of our kids from all three different states. So yeah, yeah. It, it definitely will open yeah. up that as well. And that's definitely something to consider kind of where you live and, yes. and what the demographic is and the population and all those things for sure. Yeah, we don't all live in Philadelphia where there's a lot of <laughs> a big population. <laughs> well, it, it's it's it is something to consider. Yes. So, what's all involved when adopting from another state? You mentioned the laws, and you mentioned mm-hmm. that there uh, in some states there may be an agency that needs to be involved, and other states maybe not. Uh, but let's say a, a help adoptive family says, "Okay, I'm coming to you, Bethany, and I want to adopt or I want to open our." options up to adopt from another state, what should they expect on how the process would go? Yeah, I think, you know, understanding that once they're identified or once, you know, if their profile is shown in another state, a mom sees their information, she may want to meet them ahead of time. So instead of just going once, some families do need to travel twice to that state. So just being prepared for what the getting to know you process is going to look like with that mom. I think just being prepared for the fact that they're going to need to stay in that state once the baby is placed. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about what ICPC is and all of that, but there's a whole process that families need to go through in order for um, them to be able to bring that child home. That involves additional paperwork that may involve state-specific forms from the other state that they didn't necessarily need to sign when their home study was approved, but in order to bring that child home, that's something that they're going to need to complete. And also recognizing that as agencies, if a family, um, you know, let's say a New Jersey mom places with a Pennsylvania family, we have to make sure that that adoption follows licensing requirements as a licensed agency um, for both of those states. So just recognizing that there's things that may look a little bit differently because the child is from a different state as far as number of post-placement visits or things like that. Um, And then also just the big thing I think for a lot of families is really understanding the legal process for whatever law is being used for that particular state. Yeah, I think it's a good time to explain ICPC. Uh, The reason we say ICPC is because it's a long, it's an acronym for a longer term. So go ahead, (laughs) if you want to explain that, that would be great. Yeah, so ICPC stands for the Interstate Compact on the Placement of Children, so it is definitely quite the name. (laughs) And what ICPC does is their role is really to make sure um, adoptions are happening legally, they know where children are going. You know, it started in the 60s, and so really it's been around a long time. And so ICPC, what they do is they review the paperwork um, to make sure that the state laws are being followed you know, that everyone is informed of their rights, that the family really does understand um, the potential needs for the child that they're adopting. So what needs to happen is um, once the baby is placed, typically the baby is placed oftentimes even before the birth parents have maybe even signed their legal paperwork. So that baby will be placed once it's within the time frame where a mom is able to sign her legal paperwork, that will occur. Once that occurs, a large a large, large packet of paperwork gets sent to the interstate office for the state the child is from. 
that state then has to review it. Um, and every state's process is a little bit different. Every state sort of has a window of time frame um, that they say you can expect us to review the packet within. And so for, um, you know, those states, once they review it, they will let the agency know if there's anything additional they need. Sometimes there may be something that they're looking for very specific um, that maybe was not in the standard packet, but because of the situation, they're asking for additional information. Then once that's provided, they will say that they are giving permission um, for the child to leave the state. But then what happens is the paperwork then goes to the state the family is from. And then that interstate office, they will review the packet. And then once they're satisfied with the information and give approval, they will say it is okay for this child to travel to our state. So both states have to sign off on that before the child can enter. And really, they're just making sure things are being done in an appropriate fashion and that the laws are being met and that the licensing requirements are being met in both states. Yeah. And it's really because each state has different adoption laws. That's part of it, I think, is just to make sure, yeah, the adoption yeah. laws are being followed in every state, but also, yeah, just to make sure children are not moving from one state to another uh, illegally or, right. you know, in some other way outside of the laws. So for us, uh, it was ICPC process, in some states were a lot quicker than others, but in general, it was anywhere from like one to two weeks in our, in our three cases. Is that what you find? Yeah, we tell families to typically be prepared for around 10 business days, but we certainly have had cases that have gone over that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have had cases where it's been, you know, within five business days, you know, maybe things can get processed quickly. But the thing I think that's really important is just for families to recognize that, again, we can't submit paperwork until that um, birth mother has signed her legal paperwork too. So if it's a situation where she had a really difficult delivery um, and her pain level is significant or some other significant occurrence has happened where she is not emotionally prepared to sign paperwork, that can also delay the process. So just recognizing we will do everything we can to get it through as quickly as possible, but we also have to show that we're, you know, being above board and how we go about that process. So I think the longest we've ever had it take was three weeks, but typically it is right around that, you know, 10-ish business day window is what I would say. And business days is an important um, <laughs> important, <Yes. laughs> important thing to it mention is. there because we've got several times we've got hooked up on some, across some uh, federal holiday or whatever that we were ran mm -hmm. into like, oh, there's another business day gone. So I guess we're yeah. here another day just because uh, no, none of the offices are open, so. So what are some good questions to ask your adoption professional? So there's a hopeful adoptive parents out there and they're like, okay, we're thinking about adopting from another state. Uh, we want to open up our options. What are some good questions to ask their adoption professional? So whether it be an attorney or an agency, what are some good questions to ask them about the process? What do you suggest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, every, you know, every office or attorney has sort of a different way of going about when they submit the paperwork, how they submit it, what their process is. I think the more details a family can know, the better they're going to understand and the more comfortable they'll feel. You know, again, we're licensed in three different states and each state processes ICPC differently. So, you know, there's forms that New Jersey may require that Pennsylvania doesn't, but we need to be aware of both of those. And so I think just asking those questions um, early is helpful just so families know are there things that you're going to need from us as our clearances or as far as other things. Again, important to know how the legal process is going to work based on what law is used, 
and also to understand how the situation with the expectant father or birth father, if he is involved or if he's not involved, is going to affect um, the ICPC process. And also if it's a really unique sort of situation, um, just for families to get as much information about how that will affect um, interstate and what that will look like for that process. Because sometimes if a situation is extremely complex or unique, um, that can delay the process. So I think just families asking those questions about are there things that could make this a little bit trickier to get through ICPC, I think is important. And I know as an agency, we try to give families that heads up as much as we can, just because if there is something that we foresee making it a little bit more challenging, we would like families to know that on the front end of things. What do you, what have you found is the most challenging thing in dealing with interstate adoption? Yeah, I think sometimes what can be really challenging is sometimes there may be something really specific that they need that maybe it, it's not on the typical list that we would receive. And and sometimes it's something that they may ev- even need us to get to the family to sign or get to the birth mother to sign um, before that they'll give that permission. And so, you know, for families, I think if there's somewhere where they have the ability to like print something off, that can be really helpful. Not in every case, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does happen, it's important that we're able to get those things turned around. I think really complex legal situations. So um, situations where it may be really complicated as far as the birth father, the putative father, um, those sometimes, you know, different states have different expectations about the birth father and how that piece is managed. And so what we'll do as an agency is the attorney who is working with us on the termination of parental rights, we'll ask them to draft a letter for interstate. So that way that explains it from the legal perspective. So that usually satisfies what they're looking for. But sometimes, you know, you, you may have an interstate worker who, um, is asking for more than we would typically be required to provide. And so that is something that we try to navigate as well as we can with them to make sure that they're satisfied, but also, you know, sticking within what actually is required. So it can be, can be a complicated process. Um, I would say we have really great working relationships with the interstate offices that we work with. They're very, you know, they really do get the piece of wanting to get the family home so that they can start connecting and bonding with that child at home in their own environment and all those things. So for the most part, I feel like, you know, it can be a pretty smooth process, but sometimes there's a nuance within the law that, you know, we have to make sure we're, we're meeting the requirement that is asked. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking of our situations where we've ran into some complications and whatnot, but, uh, and I could think of some of my own, but I want to ask you first of what are some do's and don'ts that hopeful adopter parents uh, should or shouldn't be doing when adopting from another state? I would say the biggest do is probably just be flexible. Um, <laughs> yes. Just recognizing that anytime you're pulling two states in and two processes in and, and sometimes two agencies in or an attorney in and, and an agency whatever that's going to look like, just recognizing that there are a lot of criteria and things that are going to need to be met in that process. So just being flexible, um, understanding that even though it can happen more quickly, it is going to be, you know, usually a couple of weeks before families are able to go home. And I would say to really look at it as an opportunity to connect as a family. Um, You know, families are always so excited for other people to meet the baby and that's great, but really interstate can just be a, a great time 
to sort of hunker down as a family and just have that really close connection with the child. Um, you know, I would say to take care of themselves. I think that's really important, um, you know, to be able to just relax and try and enjoy the process as much as possible, to rest when they can, you know, simple things that sleep when the baby sleeps, make sure you're eating, um, try to find a place that's comfortable and not going to add to the stress. You know, sometimes you may know someone who lives in the state you're adopting from, but depending on that situation, that can be really helpful or it can make things more challenging. And so sometimes for families, you know, being in like a suite at a hotel or, you know, if it's off season, I actually recommend the families looking our long the shoreline where we are in a couple of our states. And so in those states, maybe they can find an off-season rental somewhere, Um, you know, obviously not during like hurricane season, which is going on right now. (laughs) But, you know, I think those places that you may have a little more space and are able to rest. And the big don't I would say is is don't let the ICPC process become the focus. Um, Because what we see is those families who are able to really embrace parenting a new child and really embrace that time with this precious little one. Um, Those are the families that really weather the interstate process far better. So they're the families that are able to really focus on that child and just enjoy the time. Not that it's not stressful or not that they don't want to go home, but you can really miss that opportunity connecting with the child if the focus is so much on when are we going to be able to go home. You know, and I think that's just a really important piece. Um, I've heard from a lot of families it is, you know, they were able to have this great connecting time with the child before they went home and were, you know, had visitors coming and all those things. It can just be a really sweet time if families allow it to be. Um, And I would also say just to recognize that whoever you're working with, the agency, the attorney, they're doing everything they can to try and get it through. Um, But at the same time, we can only check in so much. Um, before it starts to, you know, you don't, you don't want to ask too many questions and check in too much to the point where, um, you know, you know, it's, it's that idea of you don't want to like over, overreach or overstep mm-hmm. and, and try and push the process through because interstate really has to make sure they're meeting their criteria they need. So we want to be respectful too, that they need to go through their process without, you know, pushing too hard at times. So yeah, absolutely. I, I would piggyback a little bit on that and and suggest that and anyone going through the process just set your expectations on two weeks. I mean, if mm-hmm. everything's going to be around that anyway, so if you just set your expectations yeah. on, well, you know what, we're going to be there for two weeks, and then if it comes in sooner, bonus. You know, you got to go home sooner. Yeah. And if it stays a little bit later, uh, understand that could prob that could happen, but um, just set your expectations on two weeks. Take your time, and yeah, I, I love what you said about bonding with the baby because absolutely it's nobody but mm-hmm. you and the baby you know you can you have that time to kind of get your routine on about okay diaper changes and feedings and all that stuff you can kind of understand and get a grasp on before you even go home so that's kind of it i we always felt it was really great on all three of our kids to have that time just alone with them mm-hmm. and no family or no other el- nobody else there to I don't want to say bother you, but getting your get in your way or disrupt your routine a little bit. You know, you can kind of get your routine down. And so, I yeah, think, I and it does. It sort of separates it a little bit, which is yes. nice. Yes. Um, and that kind of piggybacks on uh, tips for traveling. So, I think a lot of folks that we see in our Facebook groups and stuff that they're always like, "Okay, we're going to be adopting from this other state." 
um, what's the best way to get there or what's the best hotels you already mentioned a little bit about hotels or places to stay that are comfortable how do i find those places and what do i do and what do i bring with me <laughs> or what those yeah. kinds of things do you have some tips you could share about traveling yeah definitely i think um you always want to this is you know the one area i think you don't want to necessarily just pick whatever is going to be the cheapest option and i've heard that from families directly that they initially started in a hotel that was a lot less expensive than anywhere else. And it turned out to be extremely stressful. You know, they're in this one little tiny room and they're eating out of paper bags all the time. I think <laughs> if you can find a place that has like a kitchenette or something where you can cook some of your own meals, that can be really helpful. Um, I also really do encourage families um, if they're comfortable when they call to share with what's going on, because we find that there are a lot of hotels or people even with private rentals that love hearing their stories. And then if they're like, oh, you have to stay here with this new baby, like sometimes they'll offer a discount or they're also offer more flexibility instead of having to book it for two weeks. They can say, all right, why don't you book it for one week? And then we can go day by day from there. And you just let us know when you're able to go home. So I do think sometimes, you know, doing a little networking and just trying to figure out what's going to be a good situation for your family, trying to find somewhere comfortable. The other thing is, I know at our office, and it's something that's worth probably checking with whoever you're working with, but we allow families to stay anywhere in the state. So if they do a family that's in an area, they can go that direction. So even though we're the Philadelphia area, if they know someone in the Lancaster or the Pittsburgh area, they can go out that way if they want to. I really also strongly recommend when possible, if it's you know a couple adopting a baby, that they both go and do ICPC together because it can be really hard to navigate that on their own if that's really not feasible for any reason at least having a support person there because it can be really hard if you're learning a new um, baby schedule and you're adjusting and you know you need sleep and you're not at home like to try and do that on your own and I do recommend that too if we have if we have single parents who are adopting um, to maybe find someone who can come and stay or people that can come and sort of tag team and help them out just because it can be a hard process to go through on their own you know, and I think also just, again, you know, the more comfortable of a space you can find, the better. Um, I think families, the stress level can very much coincide with, with the place they're staying sometimes. So, yeah, I think the more comfortable it can be, the more, more support you can have, you know, and, and if people ask you what you need, like, I think it's fine to say, you know, these are the five restaurants in the area where we're staying. Gift cards would be great. Like, so just to, to let people know what's going to be the most helpful, too. Yeah, great, great tips. Yeah, you mentioned uh, vacation uh, rental homes. I think there's a couple websites, mm -hmm. airbnb.com and vrbo.com, which stands mm -hmm. for vacation rental by owner.com. Those are two good websites to go on and just see what's available around that area. And I absolutely agree calling them or calling the hotel. We got very good discounts and very pampered by the hotels that we stayed at just by sharing our story. Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is probably how long we're going to be there. What can you do for us? Yep. And they're, whoa, great. They love, and they always checked in with us because they <laughs> just love to have us there. So it was, yeah. it's definitely worth doing ahead of time. And I would say even the same thing, yep. if you're going to fly somewhere, in our case, we flew on all three of ours. Um, we even called the airline and for our particular one case we had with Southwest Airlines, we said, hey, do you offer a discount for our adoption or anything? And they're like, well, no, but in your case, we can fly you there on a, I think we did a, we did a round trip and then they would not charge us to change 
the flight when because we didn't know when we were coming back. So Southwest really worked with us very, very well. And I think we had did the same thing with Delta once. So it's worth calling yeah. and just explaining your situation and, and see what they can do for you. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's always really awesome for me as a worker to hear when families have those stories because I do think there are a lot of people who love being part of adoption in some way, even if they're not experiencing it firsthand, being able to help people who are going through the process. Um, it is something we see a lot, and, and I always love hearing those stories from families, so that's really great. Yeah, and one big thing, you mentioned having a kitchenette. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I made a very bad mistake of, of when our first adoption of finding the cheapest place, and it it did have a kitchenette, but it was not very uh, it was the cheapest place to go. And actually I prepaid, <laughs> which, oh. which I thought I'm going to save money. I'm going to prepay. And it was just not a good place. Uh, we did not stay there and I had lost money on that, but we ended yeah. up finding a good hotel with, and, and having a kitchen. It's important because for us anyway, you know, we were washing bottles all the time, you know, yeah. so that that's an important thing to consider. Yeah, absolutely. When you consider traveling from another state, you know, so, you get through the ICPC process and they say, okay, it's time to, it's, you can go home and you're jumping for joy. You go home and, and you meet up with your family and, and you do all that. How do a whole lot of parents navigate the communication or the openness with the expectant mom if they don't live close by? What's the, what's, uh, should they set that up with her before they go home or how do you suggest that? Yeah, I would say that's a conversation that's helpful to be had, um, certainly even before the baby is placed, just so people know what the expectation is going to look like. Um, and the one thing we say a lot to families is don't promise more than you're actually able to do. And so if you're going to say, you know what, we'll see you twice a year or we're going to call you this often, like really mean that um, and have that be, you know, a promise. You know, we some of the states we are licensed in um, are one of the states it does have a legally binding agreement. So if a family is from Pennsylvania and the mom chooses to use Pennsylvania law and the adoption finalizes in PA, whatever agreement is made is legally bound. You know, the court signs off on that and everyone is legally bound to that agreement. So just really being sure of what you can and can't manage. You know, we have a lot of families for communication who set up an email address. You know, they may not include their last name or that sort of thing if that hasn't been shared, but it's a way that they can start to communicate directly. And so that way, that gives them that relational piece instead of, you know, things just being sent through the office. I would say to sort of set the next expectation up at the last contact. So if the family, you know, sometimes families, when they're in the other state, they'll do a visit at that point when the baby's you know, been placed, but they haven't left to go home yet. They may have a visit with that mom um, and that dad if he's involved. And from that contact to say, you know, that's, you know, it was so good to see you. We're so glad we got to see you before we went home. We're going to, once we get home, we'll send you an email with some pictures. And just so that way the expectation is there. Um, what I've heard from some of the moms that I've worked with, it's really hard to not know what to expect. Like, so am I going to hear from them in a week? Am I going to hear from them in a couple of days? Like, what does that look like? You know, and moms, they're, they're this child's birth mom. They're going to worry too about has a child made it home safely. So I think in some ways being able to communicate those things can be really, really helpful. We do find even now with um, families not living in the same state, there's a lot more options than there were when I started at Bethany nine years ago. So you know, people can Skype, um, there's FaceTime, there's all these things that make it 
a little bit easier to have that direct communication. But it can it can be a little bit tricky. And so I think the more upfront, again, you talked about expectations with how long you're going to be in ICPC and not able to go home. I think setting expectations early and following through on them, I think expectations are so important in adoption. And so the more you can have an idea of what it's going to look like um, with the birth family before you head home, I think the better that is. Yeah, in our, in our situation, uh, and I think it happens more often than not, the birth mom really, like you mentioned it already, she just really wants to know that she made the right choice. You know, you're the right parents for her child. Her child's safe. Mm-hmm. Her child's in a good environment. Her child's getting taken care of. You know, all those things are really, really important to her, especially right away in those first few days, weeks, and months after the baby goes home with you. I mean, that those things are so important for you as an adoptive yeah. parents to make sure you communicate. Um, obviously, if it, if you know, all situations are a little bit different, but the, in our situations, that's, that's what was very, very important to our kids as birth moms. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I think that's really important. Yes. Yes. Uh, backing up a little bit. Uh, I think I skipped over this a little bit, but thinking back to our situations and you're at the hospital and expect the mom, you know, she's had having the baby or about to have the baby. And a question comes up a lot to, to me and we went through it ourselves is what, what kind of gift you know, I'd like to give her a gift or do something for her while she's in the hospital. And those are a little bit awkward moments. you know, when you're, you may have meet her for the first time. And like in our, one of our situations, we actually met the birth mom for the first time at the hospital right after the baby is born. So mm-hmm. what can you suggest to hopefully up to parents of what to do in those situations? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and again, different states and different agencies have different policies on some of that. I know at our office, if it's that first time you're meeting and it's before the baby's born, we'll encourage families to bring a small thank you for getting to know us type of gift, like flowers, or we have people do baked goods sometimes, or maybe a journal or some like nice smelling lotions or shampoos or things like that. Those can all go a long way. And at that point, it's really more of a a casual gift. What I recommend is usually to the wife, I'll say, you know, think about what you'd get a girlfriend if you were just wanted to do something small and you were trying to encourage her. So something, um, you know, that is kind of shows a little bit of their personality, but something small. Um, I would say around the time of placements, one thing that families have done um, in recent years that I think is a really cool idea is if there is going to be that relationship that's ongoing, um, sometimes they'll get like a charm bracelet. And then each year, the child, as the child gets older, it can be, they can help pick it out. But when they're little, maybe they're into, you know, at some point they're into unicorns or they're into soccer or something like that. And so each year the charm would represent something that is unique to that child um, or the child has picked out themselves. So that can be a sort of appropriate gift. And then it's explaining it um, and just sharing that it it's also a commitment to the relationship too, because it's something that you can add to had families do um, like a digital picture frame. We've had people do like a nice photo album um, or some other small, small type of gift that can represent um, the moment. Sometimes um, people, if it's, if the child's a girl, sometimes there'll be a bracelet that the girl would have and then the birth mommy and the adoptive mom to kind of connect all of them. So 
there's a lot of different ideas. The one thing our attorney always tells us is to not do something overly expensive because that, that may not look as great just from a perspective of the legal side of things. Um, but we would say, you know, some kind of a small gift is certainly appropriate. Um, and anything that can, can kind of signify the importance of that first family um, to them, I think, can be really important. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is risk the legal part of your adoption by yeah. an expensive gift that may look like coercion of, you know, forcing right. her to place the baby with you. So very, very good advice. And one thing that we did, and we had a little bit of a relationship with our, our son's birth parents before the, he was placed with us. So we kind of got an idea of what they were like, but what we did was give them a recordable book. So a recordable storybook. It's only like maybe 10 pages or something, but they can record their voices reading the book. So when we got mm -hmm. home, he would, we would read the, well, wouldn't really read the book to him, but we'd open the pages and their voices would be reading the book to him. So that, that was a really cool thing that they could do. And, um, he would get to hear their voices every day. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great idea. So we're wrapping up this. Uh, I'd like it if you could share with us some stories or examples of families that you know have successfully adopted from another state, maybe just what they went through or what makes them mm -hmm. have a successful adoption, uh, interstate adoption. Yeah, there's lots of stories I could share, but um, there's a couple that came to mind. You know, we had one situation where, again, it took a good three weeks um, before the family could go home. And some of that was like a paperwork complication. Some of that was just, there were some things where the, you know, you mail the packet, but sometimes it doesn't always end up on the right person's desk or things like, there were just like a number of things that had occurred. And so it took longer than normal. And I just remember that family just really being so gracious. And I remember at one point I called and I said, I'm sorry, this is taking so long. I'm sure this must be really hard. And they said, yeah, you know, we are starting to get a little stir crazy, but at the end of the day, we have this beautiful child mm -hmm. and what do we have to complain about? And just, they had such a good attitude about it. And we were really able to see that they connected so well with this little one um, because their focus was more on the blessing of having this child in their family than the stress of not being able to go home. And so I think that just is was such a clear example to me of like a situation where a family made the most of it and they were able to just really view it as time to connect and time to attach and all those things. And so I think that's one that came to mind and it was, it was a very, you know, us getting that one through, it just took longer than normal. Um, but that happens sometimes. And so but they had an expectation of, you know, we're going to be here as long as we're here and we're going to enjoy this child. And so I think that was just a really cool situation. Um, and we've also had more than one situation, interestingly enough. Um, sometimes at our office, um, we'll get a call from a hospital for a mom who has already had a baby and it's not an existing client. And we would say, it's a, we call them surprise baby calls locally. And so we get this call from a mom who's looking to place. And she has not chosen a family. And I can think of more than one instance where a family was not home when we were reaching out to them. And it was also interstate. So there's, we've had at least one situation, I think a couple, where a family was literally on vacation. Their profile got picked. They had to travel up, go to the hospital, you know, travel up, go home, unload all their stuff, pack up other stuff because now they're preparing for a baby, go to the hospital and then stay in that state until they're able to go home. And so even in those situations, they're a whirlwind. Um, you know, it's, 
you're suddenly, your whole life has changed in just one phone call. And so in those instances, being able to see those families just be flexible, figure it out, do what they need to do. Not that there's not stress or ups and downs or things like that, um, but just, yeah, it can be, it can also be a really exciting process too. And so we've seen families just navigate some really interesting circumstances and um, be able to, to make the most of it. And so I think that's the thing that always strikes me is that as hard as ICPC can be, ultimately, if that's the child that God has for your family, just really recognizing that um, he's in those details too. And for our families just to know, yeah, that they'll get through it. And at the end of the day, they're going to be taking that baby home when it's time for them to go home. So just just trusting the process. But yeah, I can think of lots of stories, but those are, those are just a couple that come to mind. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Those are fun. Uh, those, the, drop in the lap I've heard it called or you know those kinds of things mm-hmm. those are really crazy situations and that it, it is the two most important things I think uh, for hopeful adoptive families is to consider or to think about is like you said being flexible which means doing things as you're asked to get them done sign this paperwork go fax this thing go you got to sign this one and go print it off and fax it or whatever you need to do and then, or, and especially with the traveling, you really have to be flexible. And then having the good attitude, like you said, is just huge. It does a lot for you and your stress level, but it also mm-hmm. helps the your adoption professional. Uh, and like you said, you got to trust the process, trust them that you're getting done. You can check them, you can verify them, you can confirm things are getting done, but also trust the process, have a good attitude, and yeah, things will go so much uh, less stressful for you, at least in our experience. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to wrap it up here. I want to ask you, though, if there's any other resources you could share with folks about how to get more information or just help with the interstate process or how folks can contact you. Mm Yeah, so um, I would say for most families, um, whoever their adoption professional is, whether that's their agency or their worker or their attorney, they're probably going to be the best resources for the specific situation that they're in. Um, I also found some good tools on childwelfare.gov. They have links to a lot of resources about why ICPC exists, about what it looks like, about who the workers are in each state, all those things. So there's a lot available there. Um, And then I always tell families it's it's good to, you know, look at other online resources to look things up. Um, People sometimes blog about different things. I, I typically say take blogs with a grain of salt because sometimes, you know, there's there's people who blog when something's gone really well and there's times when people blog when things have gone <laughs> really not well. And so yes. just sort of finding that happy medium somewhere in the middle. And then if they're looking to contact us directly, um, again, we're um, the greater Delaware Valley branch. Our main office is located in Jenkintown, PA, which is north of Philly. And our phone number is 215-376-6200. Or Bethany nationally is 1-800-BETHANY. So 1-800-B-E-T-H-A-N-Y, or they can also find us at Bethany.org. Absolutely. A lot of great resources on that website, by the way, too. Uh, um, Bethany does a really good job all over the country. They got all sorts of offices all over the country. So, And you guys do informational sessions all the time, too. So those are really good. I've heard. I've not been to one myself, but I've heard a lot of people have been to these informational sessions where you just go and they're like, I want to know about adoption. What does adoption mean? What does it look like? Those are great, great sessions to go to as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you again for coming on. You did a great job. I really appreciate all the tips and uh, resources and stories. It's 
really cutting down some of the overwhelm because I think when folks realize that, oh, I could adopt from another state, whoa, what does that mean? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. That just opens up a huge um, informational overload, I think, for some people that they are like, what does this even mean? How do I get through it? And I think you cut that all down very well and and just uh, did a good job of helping us understand what the interstate adoption process looks like, at least for domestic infant adoption, which is all what we're about on this podcast. So thank you for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for the time. It's been a lot of fun, and I, I hope the information is helpful to people. Absolutely. Very, very well done. Thank you again, Carrie. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks all right. so much. Thank you. All right. What an awesome interview. Carrie did such a great job in helping us understand and break down the overwhelm of the whole interstate adoption thing. And I hope that you got a lot out of it too. Of course, you can find the highlights and the links that we talked about on today today's show at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 61. There we just, I'll list a bunch of stuff out, including stuff that we didn't even talk about, we didn't get to, but the stuff that will help you on the infant adoption journey if you choose to go across state lines. Uh, so thank you for joining me today. Uh, if you would, if you haven't done this already, sign up for my email subscription where you can get four free adoption ebooks and a whole bunch more tips and stuff through email. Just go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash welcome. All right. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you are in my prayers as you go through the adoption journey to build your family. God bless you. See you next time. Thanks for listening to my dad.